My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. I'm Lisa Pettibone, and I don't have coronavirus, so don't worry, you won't get it from me. But since the novel coronavirus COVID-19 is on everyone's minds and has disrupted countless lives, I thought I'd talk about what it means for climate change and for a climate diet. First, the good news. If you've been following greenhouse gas emissions trends, you know they've been rising basically unabated since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. But there are a few downward blips, all of which were caused by major crises. Depression or recession, war, or major disease outbreak or major disease outbreak. The last time global emissions went down was due to the financial crisis of 2008. It looks like coronavirus will be the next big drop. So let's look at emissions reductions since this strain of coronavirus was discovered. First, carbon dioxide emissions are down at least a quarter and nitrogen dioxide emissions 40% in China leading to at least 200 million tons of carbon emission reductions, according to the Washington Post. Now, this sounds really great, except that it's half of the extra emissions caused by the Australian bushfires over the last year. This includes, according to the New York Times, a reduction of 13,000 flights every day within China and from China to other countries. In addition, there's also a sharp drop in nitrogen dioxide emissions in Italy, primarily from reduced diesel car travel, which is responsible for 70% of the country's nitrogen dioxide emissions. Now, Italy's emissions have been declining for the last 15 years and are now 30% lower than they were in 2005. Italy is also planning to introduce mandatory instruction on climate change and sustainability in schools, not related to corona, but a nice bit of good news. This is according to the Washington Post. One of the biggest large-scale changes due to corona is a sharp reduction in flights, domestic and international. United Airlines, for example, cut domestic flights by 10% and international flights by 20%, which will undoubtedly lead to emissions reductions in this area. To put it in perspective, U.S. air travel is responsible for 3% of that country's emissions. Globally, air travel is responsible for about 5% of carbon emissions. So even if we were to ground all flights for the rest of the year, that's not the world's biggest carbon reductions. But OPEC, which is the group that regulates oil production in the Middle East, and the International Energy Agency have lowered forecasts for oil demand by 1.5 million barrels per day. So we see a reduction in fossil fuel use, a reduction in travel particularly, which is leading to reduced climate emissions in the short term. On the flip side, many, many, many large events have been canceled or moved online. Large climate protests such as Fridays for Future have been suspended 
and international climate negotiations meetings have also been canceled, leading some negotiators to worry that the new pledges that countries are supposed to make to reduce their emissions might not come this year, upending the international climate agreement. On top of that, with coronavirus on everyone's mind, many are worried whether interest in climate change will fall by the wayside. Instead, a lot of what I read talks about expectations that politicians obsessed with economic growth may call for stimulus packages that mean more emissions. This means it's very important to think and talk right now about what economic health really means and to start reframing economic policy into something more compatible with climate change. The Deutsche Welle has an interesting article on how temporary measures could be translated to long-term changes. For example, in building better infrastructure for telecommuting and virtual conferences and what some experts call a managed contraction of economic activity or planned degrowth. Now, to put coronavirus in perspective another way in comparison to climate change, Coronavirus has caused, as of today, about 7,000 deaths. This is nothing compared to fossil fuels, which are responsible for 4.5 million air pollution-related deaths per year, according to a report by Greenpeace. So coronavirus, I don't want to pretend that it's nothing, but even in this panic, even in this crisis, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that climate change is a long-term, much more serious problem that we shouldn't stop thinking about just because of the temporary measures need to be taken by corona. Now, a lot of the articles that I read about coronavirus and climate change in the last few weeks have, have seen coronavirus as negatively impacting climate change because of rebound effect because of change of focus from climate change and because of the day-to-day disruptions to policy action like international negotiations. I also agree that this could be a problem, but I don't see that it has to be. First, so I want to take a moment to be happy that emissions have gone down even if this is temporary, and even if there will be a rebound. Yes, they are due to a global health crisis that should not be taken lightly. But just as we can celebrate the pound or two that we lose after a nasty stomach flu, I think we should celebrate the collective emissions drop thanks to this outbreak. Now, let's imagine that we don't make the connection between coronavirus and climate change, that we don't take any climate action after this crisis, this health crisis is over. If we don't learn any larger lessons, emissions drops will be temporary. Going back to the 2008 financial crisis, emissions last year were 16% higher than when that crisis started. Now, that's despite the Paris Agreement, despite the German Energiewende and countless other policies at all levels of government, despite Tesla and your green innovation of choice, and despite Fridays for Future and Extinction Rebellion. The rebound effect also means factories will pump out extra widgets and emissions once things calm down. On a larger scale, 
Climate change and globalization mean this won't be the last time we have a global health scare. For anyone who remembers SARS, this isn't the first either. Warming temperatures mean old viruses will likely come back, and close quarters with each other and animals mean that viruses like COVID-19 could be increasingly transmitted zoonotically as well. That means from animal to person. But I unfortunately, I guess I'm genetically unable to be depressed for long periods of time. So what's interesting to me about this is that many of the risk factors for global pandemics are also bad from a climate change perspective, which makes this an especially important time to talk about degrowth. Degrowth would mean less international travel, fewer work hours and commutes, a relocalization of goods and services, and other changes that would help reduce the spread of viruses like this. I don't know where you live or how much you've been affected by coronavirus. In Germany, where I live, I would say that the changes have been annoying and disruptive, but not extreme. All schools and kitas have been shut down until after Easter, and the country is following guidelines for social distancing, avoiding large gatherings of people and staying at least six feet away from others at all times. To give you an example of what this means, at the vegan donut place near me, they're only letting one customer into the store at a time, and others are to wait outside at six-foot intervals. When I was out at the Indian restaurant we go to last night, the waiters were measuring with a tape measure the distance between tables to make sure that they were far enough apart. We also saw police officers shut down a, another cafe whose tables were not far enough apart. So in other words, fortunately now, we don't need to hold ourselves up completely for the next month, but we do need to take smart precautions. I hope where you are, the precautions are annoying and you're staying safe and staying healthy. For those of you hoarding toilet paper and bread, lighten up already. I'm using this new coronavirus reality to set myself new challenges for my climate diet and to focus on things I've tested a bit in the past few months. Specifically, I'm doing three challenges. First, I'm re-upping my challenge to eat what's in the pantry that you might remember from episode 17 last year. I'm also going to be reading a giant book off the shelf that I can't transport outside that makes me feel that it makes sense to stay inside for long periods of time. And I'm also going to finish reading the book on degrowth that I started reading last month. These are based on the challenge that I set myself in episode two of this year. My last challenge is I'm going to go outside as much as I can and enjoy the weather. It's really warming up in Berlin right now, and the sun has finally come out. There are a lot of places around where we live where we can enjoy the outside. We can enjoy a somewhat natural environment, urban nature, without a lot of people around. So I really recommend to you, if you have green spaces like that around you that are not full of crowds, go take a walk or a jog or a nap in one of them. This isn't a challenge. This is my miniature version of what I had wanted to do this week which is giving you some tips on things that I've been doing since long before my climate diet that 
keep my emissions down. And I thought I would focus also on things that I've been doing that make my life easier in a time of global health crisis, as funny as that sounds. Specifically, I want to talk about reusable things. And I've been realizing that since there's been a run on a lot of necessities like toilet paper, diapers, it's actually really helpful that I don't use some of these things. In particular, I don't use facial tissue. Instead, for about the past 15 years, I've used a cloth handkerchief and it is amazing. I have maybe 20, 30 that I've accumulated over the years, many from the junk house, which you may remember from episode 19 of last year. And what's great about these is I just use them, pop them in the washing machine, and I always have fresh handkerchiefs on hand. Second thing I've been using for almost 20 years now is a menstrual cup. Ladies, if you haven't gotten on the menstrual cup bandwagon yet, I really recommend you try it. It gets you out of the tampon game and saves you money, saves you space in your bathroom, and it gives you peace of mind because you always have what you need. You don't ever have to worry about running out. Menstrual cups last from five to 10 years, so it's a really great investment. Both of these things obviously also reduce climate emissions in their tiny but meaningful way. Going down to the baby scale, we use reusable diapers for our son. Since he's now two and a half, we're going to try to potty train him during these five weeks of no keto. But while we're not potty training him, we know that we have enough diapers to last us until he doesn't need them. So if you don't use reusable versions of those things, I would definitely recommend checking it out. They've made my life easier, more manageable. I find them better than the disposable versions. And yeah, what is there to say? Saving the planet is great. Finally, if you find yourself staying inside more thanks to coronavirus, I want to give you a couple tips for climate-friendly books and films. First, my all-time favorite environmental documentary is called Tomorrow. This is a title that is makes it very difficult to search for online. So you can pop to my website, myclimatediet.org, for a link to the film. It was made by some French filmmakers a few years ago who had just had kids and were worried about climate change, but wanted to tell a positive story about what's happening, some of the small scale steps that people are taking to fight climate change. Most environmental documentaries that I've seen are just very depressing, which in a way is not surprising because it is such a huge problem. But for someone like me, I find that I'm motivated much more by positive stories. So a movie like Tomorrow really inspires me to act and connect with other people who are acting in their way. It's available on iTunes and almost certainly on other streaming services. I've also recommended before The Overstory by Richard Powers. This is a great novel about trees and how people interact with trees. It has changed my relationship with trees and made me far more interested in learning everything I can about different species where I live. And finally, if you are interested, the nonprofit organization Mein Grundeinkommen, My Basic Income, has started a book group 
that I have joined. All you have to do, you can sign up yourself or you can buddy up with me. I'm going to be getting a copy of their book about basic income, Was würdest du tun? What it is, is it compiles the stories of the first several hundred people who won their raffle to get a guaranteed basic income for a year. And what this book does is it talks about how their lives changed or didn't, and more broadly of why basic income policies are necessary and why they would be helpful. I've been really interested in this group ever since meeting them a few years ago. I haven't actually read their book yet, so I'm very excited to do it. In their book group, what they want to do is invite those who apply to read the book and then to share it with a friend who is maybe more critical or less understanding of basic income, and then to have a chat with each other and drop a line back to Mein Grundeinkommen to talk about what we said. So if you want to have a talk with me about the book, I would very much love that. Send me an email at lisa at myclimatediet.org and we'll be happy to send you my copy of the book so that you can read it and we can talk about it. As you can imagine from the amount of German that I just spoke, the book is the book is only available in German right now, but I have been meaning also for over a year to talk to them about whether they have plans to translate it into English. So I'll get back to you on that. What's giving me hope this week? There's a person down the street from me with a notice saying that she's willing to go shopping or dog walking for those in high-risk groups and happy to take down the contact information of others interested in helping out in this action during coronavirus. And this really gives me hope because it shows how easy it is to do small, meaningful things that really strengthen community and make a difference. I have been meaning to reach out to her. We're not in a high-risk group, but at the same time, we're in that weird gray zone of parents with toddlers where I can say that my capacity as a human being is greatly reduced by the fact that I have to deal with my son 24-7 for the next next five weeks, but I hope that I do find some capacity to help out my neighbors and others in need. If you're interested in learning more about this, apparently it's a an initiative that was started by the BZ, which is a German newspaper. I would hope that in other countries there are similar initiatives. Thanks for listening. The legendary Frank Fisher left me a very kind note on my website congratulating me on the podcast. So uh, I cannot describe the warmth that is coming from my heart for this note of support from someone who is a legend in the sustainability and deliberation field. Thank you very much, Frank. The next episode... I'm going to look into what this whole planned degrowth thing means for countries, communities, and for individuals like me. Can we turn the coronavirus crisis into an opportunity to tackle climate change in a serious, long-term, sustainable way? And what does degrowth mean in terms of a climate diet? This is what I'm going to talk about next time, and I hope you'll join me. This podcast is a labor of love. 
and you can show me you care by telling me why you listen at lisa at myclimatediet.org. Thanks to David from Quince for letting me use his wonderful music. And if you want to stay up to date, follow me on Twitter at Lisa Pettibone. And don't forget to rate My Climate Diet on Apple Podcasts. That makes it easier for other people to find me and start their own climate diet. Because if everyone went on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world. 